In the past seven weeks, we've been working through Ephesians so far. We've summarized it in the theme that God has redeemed his people. Hmm. This doesn't like me either. Yeah. Now it likes me. Okay. God has redeemed his people to be the church, a community of love for his glory. And we've focused on how God has chosen and redeemed us. We've talked about the nature of the church as a unified, interlocking group of people and community, right? And we've seen the different ways the church brings glory to God. And so we keep all of that in mind. Remember today we're going to pick this one spot out of Ephesians and we have to keep all of that context in mind. Uh, I was afraid somebody was going to say it and last week Jason said it. We're not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts. And actually this week Paul is going to give us a list of five do's and don'ts. (laughs) So, so don't forget what was said last week and the week before and the week before and the week before because all of that is still true. Uh, Don't forget that our love um, from God, our being loved by God is secure. This this list of do's and don'ts is not connected to that. Okay? So if you start hearing the list, if you start hearing commandments that are just coming down from on high aimed at you, uh, take a step back. Reorient yourself within Ephesians, within the context of God's surpassing love, the riches of his glory that he's given us. A number of years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I was told that God's identity leads to God's actions. And God's actions lead to our identity, and our identity leads to our actions. Okay, now... That also works in reverse. If you go backwards and you look at your actions, you can find out what you, who you really believe you are, what you really believe God has done, and who you really believe God is. And in Ephesians, we see this really clearly. We see Ephesians chapter 1. It starts, if you remember, in verse, uh, ch- verse 3 of chapter 1. We hear, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his identity, right? And what did God the Father do? Well, he blessed us and he chose us in verse 4. In verse 5, he adopted us as his heirs. And then what is our response? You see it down in verse 13 and 18. You then see that we believe on him and we are changed. Okay, so that's one little cycle of that. If you went to chapter 2, you would see it again. If you went to chapter 3, you would see it again. And it kind of follows through Uh, the book of Ephesians as well, where you see in chapters 1 and then throughout, God's identity is talked about. In chapters 1 and 2, there's a lot about what God did. And then chapters 2, 3, and 4, we start getting into who we are, both as individuals and as the church. So there's there's this constant interplay in Ephesians between uh, you do and we do. Y'all do, right? Okay, so... That's constantly going on. So sometimes he's telling us who we are, and sometimes he's telling us who we are. And then in chapters 4, 5, 6, there's this increasing number of things that he's saying, if you're really that person, then you're going to look like this. And so that's where we're at today, is he's going to tell us how we should be looking, what it 
looks like to be us. Okay? He's not saying, do this to be you. He's saying, you are you, look like you. Okay? So, each command that we're given today is going to be rooted in our identities. Okay? And you're actually going to see that as we go through them. We're going to see that there's something that happens when we learn Christ. Okay? There's going to be this pivot point in the text where he says, you learned Christ. Very strange grammar. I'm an English teacher by occupation. This is a very strange grammar. We don't say, you learned person usually, right? And apparently they didn't in Greece either. Okay? This was written in Greek. Okay? But we're going to find out that this learning of Christ changed us. We are Christ learners. So our identities now center about, around being members of one body, about being a redeemed people, people redeemed out of the devil's dominion, about being gift receivers, about actually being made God's workmanship to do good. We have an identity as grace receivers and then grace givers that's been talked about. And we are people who have a guarantee that we will be fully redeemed and we've been forgiven. Okay, so that's the, those are our identities. We're going to see those as we walk through. And they're all rooted not just in who we are, as if that's so important, but they're rooted in God's actions, Christ's actions on our behalf because of who God is. So, what do we do now? We look at that. We see that. And I know you can't read that. You're not supposed to be able to read that, okay? <laughs> uh, I put that up there because this is our passage, and I want you to look at it. The yellow is the old life, okay? So there's a big section about the old life up there. The green is the new life. It's a big section about the new life. And then there are a series of alternating Yellow, green, blue, yellow, green, blue. It's the old life, the new life, and the identity, okay? So when you see that, that is telling you, okay, who was I? Who am I? Or what did I do? What am I to do now? Why? Who am I? Okay? And so that's just for you to get an idea of what the passage looks like, but that's not to read. We're going to read it together. And so, now, we come to verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and Paul says this to us, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer, no longer, you used to, but don't do it anymore, walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And so you think, okay, well, we already talked about this actually. These people are actually Gentiles. Paul's not making a distinction here about ethnicity. He's not saying don't walk as not Jewish people. He's actually saying don't walk as people outside of the faith of the God of Abraham. Okay? You are not those people anymore. You have brought, been brought into the people of faith, God's people, and you're to walk this way. Now, if you remember, walking has already come up in Ephesians, right? In Ephesians 2, Verse 10, it said, God prepared good works ahead of time for us, the church of God, to walk in as God's beloved children, as the Father's children. We are to do that. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, based on being God's beloved children, we are called to walk worthy of our calling. 
And now, for the third time, he's going to say walk. But now he says, don't walk like you used to walk. So you used, you're walking one way. Now walk worthy of how God called you. Don't walk that old way. And something really interesting happens here. And if you look in verse 18, he's now going to describe what that old way that you're not to walk in anymore is. He says, they, the outsiders, the people who haven't learned Christ yet, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He says three main things here that describe them. They're darkened in their understanding, no light. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, no wisdom. And they have hard hearts, no love. And in chapter 5, this is somebody else's sermon next week, but in chapter 5, he's going to tell them, Walk in light, walk in wisdom, walk in love. Okay, so right now he's setting us up. He's again talking about identity. Our old identity is one. Next week's sermon is directly connected to today's. Okay, no longer do that. But also look at this little phrase here. They are alienated from the life of God. I read this in the Turkish, and in Turkish it jumps right out and smacks you in the face because it says they are, they have been made foreigners. These people are outsiders, okay? They're outsiders, they're foreigners. And now go all the way back to Ephesians 1, right? And what did he say, say to us? You were chosen. He didn't just bring you in. God didn't say, okay, come into my kingdom. Come, come, come. You can be peasants. Wonderful. I have more peasants. No, right? What did he say? Come into my kingdom and you become family, right? We're family. We're not foreigners anymore. We're no longer alienated. Okay? We're not outsiders. We're now family. And so that's, that's this thing. They're still out there. And there could be someone today, right, that you, you're going, okay, I walked into this place, and I'm feeling like an outsider, right? Somebody can come to church who's not yet, doesn't know Christ yet, who hasn't learned Christ yet. If you're like that, God's call to you is come be family. Don't, don't be a foreigner in this community. We're a community. We're family. Come inside. Don't just come be a peasant or an immigrant. Come be my family. And that's God's call to you. And he says they've abandoned themselves. This is verse 19. They've abandoned themselves to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Think about how that sounds. That their desires, their focus in life is to gather up sensuality. Everything that feeds our senses. They, they are concentrated on their experience. Their reality is this moment. Now, one thing you could hear me saying is that we are not to notice this life, that we're to be living in some other space, right? We, we could, I have gotten confused. There we are. Uh, we could be, go to that place where we go, we're not connected to this world, but we are. This isn't saying the body, the uh, feelings, the desires are bad. It's saying 
They need to be transformed. We need renewal. We don't need to reject this. And so as we go on, he comes now to this pivotal verse, verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ, okay? So you, if you are one of God's children, you learned Christ. Okay, so I want you to think about Christ now, the Messiah, the hope of the world. And as you think about him, I want you to, what have you learned of him? Okay, take a moment and think, what have you learned of him? And then I want you to actually tell me. We're, we, we are, we're a family, we can talk to each other. What have you learned? And I would say to you that one of the things I've learned about Jesus Christ is he is the giver of purpose and meaning. That when, when I think, who is Christ Jesus to me? Yeah, he's the one that gives life, purpose, and meaning. Who is Christ Jesus to you? Let's just take a minute or two and just tell me. Tell each other, not me. Who is Christ? Who have you learned? An older brother. An older brother. Protector. Protector. The humble teacher, right? The healer, yeah. Sovereign. The reconciler. He makes peace. Yeah. The bridegroom, right? He's coming for us. He's our father, yeah. Sorry? Oh, amen, yes, amen. All right, we could go on, actually. We could do this for the rest of the time, but who have we learned Okay, and he says, we've learned Christ. And then he goes on in verse 21. He says, assuming or, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. If you're in the body, if you're in Christ, if you're in the church, we assume that you're learning about him, that you've been taught in him. And now what he's going to do is he's going to tell us what it looks to live like this. And he says, the first thing you need to do is you need to put off the old self. Now, this putting off literally means get undressed. I mean, this is what he's talking about. And in a minute, in the next verses, he's going to say, get redressed, okay? But he's not talking about something so external as clothes. He is talking here about our old corrupted self. Not part of it. Don't get rid of some stuff that you did. He's talking about full renewal, being fully remade till we look like we were supposed to look originally, right? He's actually talking here not about a little change. He's talking about massive renewal, full change. If I say to you, you need to strip of your old self. Anytime we say, take everything off, it sounds extremely vulnerable, right? Okay, he's not, he's not being crass here. But he's giving us a sense that everything's got to go. You've got to be fully vulnerable to what God's doing. You are being remade. And then he's going to tell us here that we're going to be renewed. He's not going to leave us. They're vulnerable in that way. There's actually a grammar here, being an English teacher, of course. There's a grammar here that he uses when he says put off and he talks about something that has been done. 
And then when he talks about renewal, he talks about something that is ongoing. He, there's a contrast here between how he talks about put off and put on. One has this sense of being accomplished. We have begun to learn Christ. We have turned away from the outside. We're inside. But the new person is not totally new yet. Okay, so this is what's happening. We are being renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self-created after the likeness of God in righteousness and tr in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so what's happening here, that thing has started, and we're moving now through this process. We're new, but it's not complete yet. It's just the renewing of the mind. Uh, Bethany and I were at counseling a couple weeks ago, and the counselor was talking about the battle of the mind, and he said the hardest battle, in his opinion, he said, the hardest battle is the battle of the mind. What happens here is harder for us to deal with than the habits and the external things we have to deal with. And that, that has stuck in my mind because that's where I fight most of my battles, right? It's right in here. The renewing of our mind. We need Jesus. We need the Spirit to walk with us and renew us, new life in our minds. Then he says to put on the new self. We are now to be reclothed. Remember, dressed in his righteousness alone. Okay, that's where we're going on the day of redemption. That's how we'll be dressed. We need a new self, new identity. And this seems to summarize that. The changing of clothing imagery signifies an exchange of identities. What Paul is saying to us here, what the Spirit is saying to us is, you are that, you are this. It's a complete switch. So we must change and we must all change together. Okay, this is we're being changed into righteousness. And so now he gets into the details and he says to us, therefore, having put away falsehood, okay? No lying. And you think, Paul, really? This is where you're going? No lying? That was like 60 books ago in the Bible, right? We got that one. That was like one of the Ten Commandments. And it's like, and he's saying, no lying. Must be still important. Let each one of us speak truth to his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Now, I, I love how the Lord brings things together. Unfortunately, I don't know his name, but our brother spoke about what being a body part meant. That is what, that is this word here. It's translated members, but think of it as body parts or organs, okay? It's this really graphic thing where he's saying, if you lie, it's like if your liver or your stomach started lying to you. You're doing something to the entire body, and you're messing them up. If my eye lies to me, something bad's going to happen to me. If my foot lies to me, something bad is going to happen, right? We, we, we are dependent on each other, and lying literally breaks the body. But we're too good for that, right? We don't lie. Okay, so let me, let me give you... I have a good friend... He is a refugee here in the States. 
And we were talking a while back, he had to have emergency gallbladder surgery. He knew his gallbladder was going bad, so he'd researched how much it should cost. It should have cost, I think he said, six or $7,000. Unfortunately, before he had the money to get the surgery, he had an emergency, went into the ER, they cut the gallbladder out. He had no money to pay. They said, no problem, sign here. Because you have no money, the government will cover your entire surgery uh, it'll only be $25,000, I believe is what he said. I could have the number a little wrong. Now, he's not lying. He really doesn't have any money to pay for it, right? And he said to them, that's fraud. We'll not sign your paper. And he left. They called him back in, I think he said about a week later, and they said, uh, we're going to take care of your bill. We have a charity that's associated with our hospital, um, and they're, they're just going to cover your bill, uh, because you know, the, the, he told them, like, if you want to do fraud, we can go to the courts. The courts will take care of fraud. And so they backed right off. Now, uh, sign here. Let us commit fraud. I'm like, we're talking about $25,000. I'm going to have to think about this, right? Like, I'm like, I'm not lying. You know, I can feel that. He's telling me this story, and I'm going. And we're halfway through the sto story, and I'm hearing $25,000, and all I can hear is that big number. And he's going, so I told them I'd go to court, and I walked out. Going, okay, I'm glad it was you, because your integrity level at that moment, I hope God would have given me the grace to say the whole, whole thing, but when I'm hearing the story, I'm going, signing doesn't sound so bad. Right, okay, so you go, and, th and that's, that's it, right? We don't, we don't lie, but, well, we might negotiate with the truth sometimes, okay? Um, the second thing he says, okay, be angry. When, when I read this and really saw it, it shocked me. I've, I don't know how many times I've read it before, but be angry. It's the only one in here that starts with the command, be angry, we're going to jump ahead of slide. A man totally destitute of indignation is a maimed sample of humanity. In such a world as this, the truest peacemaker may have to assume the role of a peacebreaker as a sacred obligation. I don't go much for being angry. Um, I don't. It's not my default setting, but. That may actually be a weakness at times, right? There are times when we should be angry. But he says here, the emphasis here is actually on do not sin. Anger is one of those things that it takes us to a dark place. There are times to be angry. There are things to be angry about. We saw our Lord Jesus get angry in the Gospels, right? More than once, okay? But don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, okay? Limited. Don't let your anger take over, I think is what he's saying here, right? There's a time to be angry, but when your anger becomes your driving force, what's going to happen? You give an opportunity to the devil. The devil knows how to use anger, okay? So we are to be angry. We are to, at times, be peace breakers, but we have to keep this in check. This stays within our identity as people who God has loved the third command, don't steal. And you're like, yay, Paul, thank you. We've been over this one too. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have to give to share with anyone in need, right? So, what, what is the significance here? Okay, most of us aren't going around stealing, hopefully. In the context, actually, again, the grammar here is saying, let the thief. He didn't say let the one who was a thief. He's actually saying, if you're still sitting here and you're still stealing, stop. Why? Because you're a Christian now. You're a follower of Jesus. Go out and work. Do honest work so that you have something to share. Okay? Your, your entire motivation, your entire world's going to be turned upside down. Instead of everything for me, I'm gathering for me, taking for myself. Now it's everything for others. And I want to just put in a little footnote here. We are in America. We are in a land that worships work and money. I know we worship work because we don't take all our vacation time. Okay, so that's irrational in my mind, but um, <laughs> it, it suggests where our priorities are, right? We have less vacation time than any other developed nation, and we don't use it. So why would we need more? Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's a rabbit trail. We're going down the rabbit trail. Okay, so it's not an end in itself, right? We are not to work to be good. Work is good, but work is not our aim. It is not our idol. But on the other hand, not working, if we are able to work, is also not good. So Paul is saying here this balanced thing, work so you can give. Uh, that's number three. We see this complete turning over of our motivations, our life orientation. Number four, corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Okay, so corrupting talk. Like, what is corrupting talk? Well, it's not just bad words. It's not just foul language. It means actually something like unhealthy talk, unwholesome, unprofitable. The idea here is you are destructive, and instead you need to be what? Building up. You need to be constructive. Now, uh, which one is easier, building or destroying? <laughs> okay. So... You can sweat destroying stuff, but you will definitely sweat building stuff, right? Uh, and he's saying here, build each other up with your words. And if you look at it, he says, no corrupting talk, but only such as is good for building up. So it's that sense of each word. Let's weigh the words. Why? Because... You want to give grace. You are literally now, in the last verse, you were literally giving stuff. It was physically helping those in need. Here, we are spiritually helping those in need. We are giving grace to them now. Before, we were helping them live. Now, we are helping them be alive in Christ. We are transferring grace through our words. Okay, this is really the exact opposite of uh, corrupting talk, right? We're, we're transferring life, okay? And then he said, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Why? When you break down God's building, when you corrupt, when you use unhealthy words to tear down God's building, us, 
It grieves the Spirit of God. And that word grief is the same word we might use when a father, David, loses a son, Absalom, in Scripture. It's mourning. Don't make him mourn. Don't make him sorry. Again, next week, it's going to talk about how you can please him. Don't grieve him. We are in a deep relationship with the God of the universe. Okay? We have learned Christ as a person. And we have the spirit with us who will mourn, who will grieve if we do not walk in his way. Not because he needs us, but because he loves us. So here we go again. This isn't about his love being less. He's not grieved because he's rejecting us. He's grieved because of the opposite, because he's embracing us. And then what does it say? The spirit who has sealed us for the day of redemption. We're looking forward. We are a people who have been called, who have been uh, knit together in Christ. We are sealed and we're looking forward. There is a coming a day when we will be fully redeemed. And then in verse 30, sorry, verse 31 and 32, he kind of summarizes this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with all malice. And this word malice is actually the opposite of the word virtue. Okay, so he summarizes here and he's actually summarizing the commands about anger and the ones about speech. And he's saying, don't do these things and all this malice. Okay, anything that is driven by not virtue, anything that is driven negatively is to be wiped out. Put them away and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So these other things are going to tear down your community. They're going to destroy the church that God has built, has built. But what could be more building, more constructive than kindness and forgiveness? Why? Because, again, we have an identity in Jesus. We have been forgiven. That's it. That's what he says. So, what does learning Christ look like? How do we do this? Not just me and you and you and you, but us, right? We are a community. How do we walk in this together? And it says we have to be remade. We have to, it's not enough that we have been redeemed and one day we're going to be perfect before the throne. As we walk this life, we need renewal and we need remaking by the Spirit with the community as God does this. I want to say something here. If you look in this passage, there's a no longer... You're not that anymore. You are being made, and there's the redemption. There's the past, the present, and the future. We are a people who we can look at the past honestly. We don't have to fear the past. We can face the present. Whatever God's bringing to us, we can face it together, and we can embrace the future. There is something coming. Whatever else comes before the day of redemption, we can face 
because there is a day of redemption. Sometimes we may be overwhelmed. There are days when our lives do not look like we wish they did, right? Where you go, well, I blew that one. I was angry with the kids. I was angry with the neighbor. I, you know, fudged the truth. I exaggerated. I went through the day with frustration. I was just having a moment or I lost it with somebody. You know, we don't want to call it being angry, but, you know. Um, we have discontent. We're self-satisfied. All of these things. And we realize, I blew it again. So what do we do? What do we do? We come back. Remember what Hunter preached two or three weeks ago. He said, the promise of our God, our Lord, is that he is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Our creator and redeemer is able to take us beyond, beyond all our imaginings through the spirit of holiness. Let's pray. Father, we are dependent on you. We are coming in a moment to your table, knowing that we are still in the process of being renewed. We aren't totally new yet in our day-to-day -day life. We have your promise, your sealing. We have hope in you. But we need you today. I ask that you would give us your grace, not to just try harder, not to just do more, but to live in the identity you've given us, to live in a way that reflects your actions, your identity around us. Guide us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.